HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program has been brought to you by Cider Week New York City, happening November 6th through 15th, 2015. For more information, check out ciderweeknyc.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on the Heritage Radio Network, every Tuesday from roughly 12, a little late as usual, 12.45, thereabouts, 12.50. We are super pleased. Oh, we got, as usual, we have, uh, we have Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. Hello. Hello. Uh, and, and actually, we're going to be talking about something that she's a fan of for a freaking change. What? Yeah. Yeah. Jack in the engineering booth. How you doing, Jack? I'm good. I just got a free bowl of chicken noodle soup from uh, Jackie at the Roberta's Kitchen. It was really nice of her. Yeah? How is it? It's really good. What kind of noodles? The flat noodles? No, like some kind of handmade pastas in there. Handmade pastas? Have they fallen apart? Have they gotten mushy yet? They're getting there. Yeah. yeah, That's the problem, right? Yeah. Uh, We have also uh, Rebecca live tweeting out there. Rebecca, how are you? Hi. But... Uh, we can talk about mushy noodles in a minute because we have with us t- – this week is Cider Week here in uh, in, in the Big Apple. And uh, presumably – do you guys do – well, I'll introduce them. I'll ask them whether they also do Perry's or all these other things, which are getting hugely popular in uh, in the UK, right? Perry's are just going nuts. Uh, well, in France. Yeah, yeah. The French don't care. No kidding. Just messing, just messing with me. Well, France is – like France – if France were Belgium, they would be the France of Paris. Whatever. I'm not even going to get into it. Okay. We have John Reynolds here uh, from the uh, Finger Lakes uh, from Black Duck Cider, and he's here to uh, you know let us taste out and talk about some ciders. And we also have uh, uh, Leif uh, Sandstrom. How are you pronouncing that right? Yeah, close enough. Sandstrom from Sandstrom Ciders, and they're in Hudson, New York. Woo! And we're here to talk about – uh, well, uh, hopefully we'll get to some actual questions later. If not, I'm sure I'll just rip through some at the end or whatever. But you call in your questions, hopefully cider-related questions, too. 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Yeah. Now, listen. It is my feeling that anyone who has the time, interest, inclination, and takes the care to make a cider will also have something interesting to say about most cooking questions. So you don't have to have necessarily a cider-related question, but it might be helpful. So let's uh, – To that end, I have a caller who called like right at the top of the show has been waiting. So let's see if it's cider. Or not. <laughs> All right, let's see if it's cider. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave, this is Jonathan from Tempe, Arizona. How you doing? 
Not a good apple good. place, by the way, Tempe, no. Arizona. Not good. Good for many things. I love the smell of Arizona, actually, frankly. When you get off the airplane, that Arizona smell, I like it, but it's not apple country. Go ahead. It depends on which airport. Ooh, it is shit. not apple country. It yeah. is not apple country. That's right. Yeah. Uh, this isn't a cider question, but I will definitely be interested in buying some cider. Uh, <laughs> there you go. But it's <laughs> but it's a it's a question. Uh, I ran into it because I just bought a Anova circulator, mm-hmm. and I started doing some uh, steaks, and I ran into the problem, uh, well, the exact problem that you made the sears all for, where I just can't get a good enough crust in a cast iron pan. Right. On like a on a regular residential burner. Yes, but I, I do have a a baking steel, so I was curious if I should try to maybe put the baking steel on the stove, or maybe just heat it in the oven for it for an hour. Just anything. Um, is there any reason to use a baking steel over the cast iron? And granted, um, it'll be a while before I can make another kitchen uh, kitchen purchase such as a sears all so right. this is just an interim solution right so just wondering if you had any thoughts about baking steel versus cast iron anything like that how hot does your uh how hot does your oven get 550 just a regular residential oven yeah so uh what i would do in this situation i would first of all <laughs> test this on yourself before you like, invite a billion people over for steak. But the thing I – would, I would try the baking steel. I think that's probably a good thing to try. Crank your oven. Heat the hell out of it for a while. And then what I would do is keep the oven super cranked, and I would throw the steaks on one side of the, of the thing and then um, flip it and hit a different section of your baking steel. By the way, is your baking steel – Will it, how many burners will your baking steel hit if you put it directly on your burners? I mean I think like two total. <sighs> Okay. Well, you could put it in 550 oven, right? Get some good mitts, heat it way the hell up to 550 so it's nice and even, then crank your burners, throw it on your burner, put the steak on, and then flip it and put it over on the other side. The one problem with the baking steel as opposed to a cast iron pan is you're not going to be able to get a lot of oil on it, and so it's going to run off and cause fires and flames and smoking, and it's very difficult to get yeah. – yeah, it's very difficult to get a good sear on a pre-cooked piece of meat. Um because the surface of the cr- uh, surface of the meat is all you know moundy and bumpy, so you're going to get big blonde areas where there is a concavity at the meat surface, unless you have a significant quantity of oil. And if you put a significant qu- quantity of oil onto a baking steel that's 550, it's a, that's a recipe for huge, huge, as Trump would say, huge problems. So um, mm. you know, I would, I would work with that. You can paint the oil on. Another thing is, are you pre-searing your meat? I'm not no. Ah, pre-sear. Look, I know, I know that like our good friend Kenji uh, Kenji uh, Lopez Alt, uh, he doesn't believe that pre-searing is necessary. Here's 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 where I think he's incorrect about this. Pre-searing reduces the amount of searing time you have to do at the end to get X amount of crust. So if you do a pre-sear on cast iron before you do your low-temp cooking and chill it down, before you do your low-temp cooking, instead of taking two and a half minutes to reach a certain crust level on the, on the outside of the steak, it will only take like a minute and a half. So you can, you can greatly increase like how good your crust is, even with your current technologies, without lighting fire to your house and pissing off whoever else lives in your house. You can greatly increase the crust you can produce by simply 
pre-searing the meat before you do it. Put it, put it, start it. Maillard likes Maillard, crust likes crust. So you'll get a good flavor development. And while it's true that if you put the same crust on it by doing post-sear only, you won't be able to probably tell the difference flavor-wise between the two two steaks. And there will be more moisture loss, which again is something we can argue about. But I don't care. I don't mean I don't. I care that you care about it, but I don't care. In other words, I, I'm I'm not anti-moisture loss in a piece of meat necessarily. Um, so anyway, so I, I would go that route. I would try to see if a pre-sear can help you uh, without burning your house down. Yeah, I mean, I'd say next time I would just do one pre-seared, one not pre-seared, see the results, and then go from there. Yeah, remember, the whole thing about a pre-sear is it's saving you searing time at the end. That's the main thing about a pre-sear. Another thing, right. you, another thing you can do is you can uh, – like uh, let the meat rest longer out of the bag or even put it in a little bit of water to chill it down before you sear it and then you can do a radically longer sear time on it without overcooking the center yeah i did hear that somebody i read somewhere where someone will put it bag directly from the circulator into an ice bath for 15 minutes yeah well uh i mean i'm in general anti that because um i've run a bunch of tests based on the initial knowledge that i poo-pooed of a guy named bruno gousseau who's kind of the godfather of low temperature cooking even if he is french and um the uh i like the french by the way i'm just messing the uh the the uh so if you put a bag directly in ice water you tend to get less uh kind of reabsorption of um the kind of juices which again i said i don't really care about but most people when we do the side-by-side taste test they prefer the meat that is uh, allowed to gradually reduce uh in temperature so i also anyway so I'm, i'm a fan of just like pull it out of the circulator like i pull if you if you're gonna do a hard hard sear i'd pull it out of the circulator like like uh, a good 45 minutes maybe 30 to 45 minutes before you're going to eat it and then for at least like the first 15 or so 20 like leave it on the counter and then if you want to chill it even further you can put it into regular uh room temp water uh you know you know regular cold tap water i wouldn't use ice and then uh, and then you can put a monstrously hard sear on the outside of it and still not overcook the inside but you have to be careful that you don't render the inside uh, so cold that people are like, this steak is not hot in the middle. People don't like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially because yep, be- sure. be- beef fat, the texture of beef fat gets, um, you know, unless you're like a cold beef fat. There are cold beef fat people. Nah, I'm not one. No, no. Me no. neither. No. All right. Anyway, let us know. Uh, tweet, tweet back on uh, onto cooking issues and tell us how, uh, how, how it went. All right. Well, um, thank you. I'm turning this into the cider hotline, so we're only taking cider and apple calls, Ooh. and uh, we actually have two calls. So one is an apple question, one is a cider question. We're okay, listen, Jack, give me, give me, give these. Let's give these guys at least thirty seconds yeah. each to to give us like who they are and what's going on, awesome. so that, so that we know, and then we'll take the call. Cider calls, stay on the line. All right, so stay on the line. Don't leave us cider calls because we want them. So we, John, we do go. want them. So uh, uh, I'm Black Duck Cidery. Uh, we're up in the Finger Lakes, basically in wine country. Uh, we took really good grape land and planted. Uh, trees starting about 15 years ago, mainly pear and apple trees. So we've made all our neighbors in the Finger Lakes hate us, um, you know, because they think it's great land. Uh, and basically three years ago, we got a commercial license. Uh, these are all natural fermentations, uh, our ciders. Uh, there's no fining, no filtering. Uh, we don't take anything away. We don't add anything. And uh, yeah, we make we make four kinds. And when you were talking about Perry, one of them is a Perry. I did not bring it today because we are sold out. We sell out quick. Um, but it is a still perry, so it's quite different than most of the English or French perries because there's no carbonation. Cool. Yeah. And how close are you to Geneva? Uh, I'm uh, halfway between Geneva and Ithaca, so I'm like 25 minutes uh, from Geneva. 
So, and uh, I actually worked at the Ag Station at Geneva. So I worked uh, where sort of the Noah's Ark of apples. With are. like w- when Phil Forceline was still there, were <clears throat> you there? Or no? I, wa- I, I was. Nice. So you know Phil. Oh well, I've met him. Yeah. 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 Phil Forceline. For those of you don't, for those of you who don't have no idea what we're talking about, Geneva, New York <laughs> is the mo- is like is like the mothership of apples in this country. Uh, I mean, straight up, it's like it's ridiculous. And this guy, Phil Forceline. I guess best known for going to Kazakhstan and bringing a whole bunch of wild types back. He did, yeah. And so they have thousands of kinds of wild type apples, many of which could be market apples because they're delicious. And anyway, so you want to go ahead and um, talk a little more about that for a sec before? We- yeah, well, I mean, and, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's basically the USDA's uh, uh, germplasm repository. So they're holding these apples, essentially, uh, their varieties. Um, Basically, uh, so they don't get lost uh, in, in history. And, and it's true that they went not only to Kazakhstan and Tajikistan, um, uh, but they went to China for collection trips. And, and basically, the theory is that the apple sort of originates in Central Asia. And that's sort of the center point of the you know, silk trade route. And you have trade from China you know, to the Middle East and so forth. And it, you know, eventually, these apples uh, sort of go uh, you know, well to, to where they grow now in Europe and places like that. It spreads to the U.S. Obviously, people bring them over, settlers. Um, but it is an amazing place. It is your tax dollars at work. So the public hard at can, work, hard at hard work. work, no, no doubt. So, so the public actually can go there certain times of the year, and you can go toward these orchards and uh, uh, you know see uh, you know two thousand apple varieties, different ones, all in the same orchard. If we have time later, I can we can talk about visiting Nastasi and I. We haven't been there. We went to the Brogdale. Uh, we've been to a couple other uh, tastings, but I, you know, I've been to Geneva with Harold McGee. We could talk about mm. fruit tastings and apple mecca and pilgrimages. Hopefully, we'll have have time. But l- before yeah. before we get the callers, Leif, why don't you give us give us some story? Give us some give us some Leif. So I'm based in the Hudson Valley. I produce cider in a small barn in Southern Saugerties. Um, I had lived in New York City, Brooklyn, for a number of years. Spent roughly ten years working in the wine industry, um, various capacities: importing, distribution. Restaurants spent more than a dozen years of my life in restaurants, also, but also worked with winemakers in Oregon and Germany, doing harvest and so forth like that. That really informed a lot of the kind of transition and focus of cider making for me after I left kind of the wine world to focus on something that was a little bit more indigenous, so to speak, to where I'm living, trying to stay rooted in Hudson Valley and New York State and exploring. Cider a lot because it has so much in touch and in line with what drove me to be passionate about wine, but also because there's just a lot of unexplored territory at this point. Um, both in recovering a past and history that cider's involved with here in the United States, but also in exploring new frontiers informed by everything from new understandings of flavors and farming and, and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm working out there now. Where this year, actually tonight, officially is the first commercial release of the cider. I've been producing for several years. Um, the directive is generally focused on a, a want of exploring terroir in various areas through cider. Um, that is proved to be a little bit of a, a naive uh, exploratory uh, element in my, my case because just the access to certain apples with not being your own farmer, growing your own fruit is... is incredibly difficult if you're keeping a focus on specific varieties and a specific level of quality. So we're exploring it as much as we can, but um, right now producing a couple bottlings of last year. One we have here is all from Columbia County fruit, and there's another bottling for single orchard fruit. And this coming year from 2015, it's going to be a different program altogether. But with a focus on 
heirloom varieties that are from North America or some cider varieties as well, but hopefully with a focus on limited number of apple varieties per bottling as opposed to large blends. Sure. Try and kind of, you know, focus on what these individual characteristics are for the specific varieties. So. A lot to talk about, but caller, let's get some cider caller. Cider caller yes. one, you are on the air. So we're going to nice. go with the cider question first. Apple question, stay patient. <laughs> Hi, Dave. How are Hello. you? Doing all right. Hey, um, this is a, a nice coincidence. So I'm trying to track down the elusive Ashmead's kernel <laughs> apple. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering if you have any tips for finding that in New York City and or if you have any um, substitutions you'd recommend for your liquid intelligence recipes. Yeah. So at, for those of you who don't know, I really like Ashmead's kernel because it's uh, a high sugar, high acid, extremely rich uh, kind of uh, apple. There are people who make hard cider f- with it, but it's actually, I think, probably a very challenging apple to make a hard cider with just because uh, of its high acid content. Hmm. So I think you'd probably need to, I mean, cider people, you tell me, but I think it would need a lot of mellowing before you could uh, <laughs> That's do Except a personal preference, yeah. I would say. Right. Yeah. No, and we, and we grow quite a lot of that, and uh, it goes into blends. Now, as a straight varietal, yeah, you would almost have to put it through malolactic uh, fermentation to reduce the acidity of it. And I think that's what people do when they generally make it as a straight varietal. But it's a it's an amazing blend um, in, in there, and I, uh, there's probably some in this. Well, I know there's some Ashmeads in uh, this cider. Had I, had I known you want them, I would have brought them down to the city for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The taller Ashmeads are Ashmeads are fantastic. The first Ashmeads I ever tasted was actually from Geneva, from the Ag uh, Station um, in uh, New Hampshire. Poverty Lanes Orchards grows yes. Ashmeads for yeah. commercial sale. They ship via Baldor, uh, the oh. distributor here in New York City. And they they'll work. Some, I mean, they're probably working overtime now because it's like you know. I, mean, I don't know how whether they'll take calls now, but they uh, uh, they they can they can provide it. And uh, Stas, you ever seen it at our green market? No, I've never seen it at our green market. And the problem with um, yeah, like for the recipes that I that uh, so like you, you guys don't. I have a book, and in the book is a chapter on apples, mm-hmm. specifically apples in cocktail. But they're not fermented apples; they're apples that mm-hmm. we use kind of fresh. Right. And I think there's nothing beats Ashmeads for like co- cocktail work. Like Ashmeads yeah. is like kind of like par excellence, like cocktail apple to work with, even though it is hard to source. Yeah. Um, I will say this. Um, if you're using it in cocktail work and you want to preserve that uh, kind of like rich acid note of Ashmead's kernel, like uh, process them right away. I mean, like um, you know, I've had people. We've ordered the we've ordered the cases from uh, Poverty Lanes, and uh, they come in, and some knucklehead will put the case down in you know in the, in a hot basement next to a dishwasher, and then they're toasted inside of a day. They're 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 just. They're a shadow of their former self. They've lost their richness. They've lost their punch. You know, they've uh, they've started I, I going to senescence. Counter that by saying, like those apples, though, if if left to cure in a, a good environment, can really increase a lot of that richness and complexity of flavor quite a bit. You know, and also on that note, too, a variety that may work as a decent substitute that's sometimes easier to find is golden russet. Um, yeah. While different, it has a lot of similar kind of profiles. Yeah. I, I would throw out Cox Orange Pippin, which I don't know in the city, but it probably is slightly easier. But it's another 
you know, famous English apple high in acid yeah. and very aromatic. Uh, but it may also be slightly you, difficult. You don't there. really see a lot of cocks here because uh, as educated as you'd hope New York City market is, like we demand crunchy and like a yeah. good cox is not is not crunchy. True. It's more of a crumbly apple and Americans, I'm very sad to say, can't appreciate the crumbly texture of like an old-fashioned um and there's Cox. very few places sure. in this country where you can really grow them well. I mean, Finger Lakes is one yeah, exception. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah, they do well, although uh, there's still issues. I mean, it's, it's probably the most difficult tree that we have to yeah. grow in the orchard. Uh, it, yeah. It's also, I, mean, I don't know how sensitive all apples are to it, but I, I was in the Brogdale. We, Nastasi and I broke into a section where they were testing cocks on a bunch of different rootstocks. Wildly different. Same mm-hmm, piece right. of dirt, different rootstocks on cocks. And I don't know, like I said, stocks on cocks. Stocks on cocks. <laughs> Woo! Uh, yeah, so, uh, I, you know, I don't know whether it is more sensitive than most to rootstock in terms of flavor, but it was definitely, it. I know it was sensitive. That's the only one yeah. I've ever done a comparative tasting on. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it's it's a very low vigor tree, so that's that's part of the problem too. Uh, you can't crop them early, or the tree never gets beyond a certain height. Um, yeah, they, they, and they just have a lot of issues. They're just susceptible to everything, and uh, disease wise, insect, and uh, you know, and that's sort of why even in England they're ripping them out and replacing them with sort of more modern varieties. Yeah. Um, just for that reason, uh, they they you know, it's not not economically viable even for them. Right. In, in the motherland. Do, do you do growing for for eating market as well? Or I no? do. Yeah. So yeah. Do you find it disheartening that you have to do, like, for instance, like, it's impossible to get good early season apples because they're always harvested too early because they go soft almost instantly. And so that, they're, yeah. not, they're not even a point buying, like, Lodi's or Transparents here because they're, like, there's not good. Yeah, those are, I mean, for me, that's too early. I mean, our sort of earliest ones are, uh, like, for eating are St. Edmund's Russet, which is another, uh, it's a full russet. It's another English apple. And that one has like a pear drop sort of uh, flavor. It's not very high in acids, but we also use it in a cider blend. And that's really for us uh, right at the beginning of September. Hmm. So I don't mess with any apples generally that are August ripening because I do. They're they're very short season, very short lived. And I think the flavor is eh on most of those. Yeah. yeah well, uh, no, those also like the people, I had, no offense to the people I buy them from occasionally, but like they harvest them when they're like baseballs. Yeah. They're still mm-hmm. like starchy, nasty. Yeah. Uh, wait, we have another caller still on the air? We do, yeah. yeah. Caller, you are you are on the air. Hey. Howdy. Am I on? Yes, yes. <laughs> your your question, sir. Is he still there? He, yep. Did we lose him? Maybe he dropped his phone. Uh, he'll come back. Yeah, he'll be back. He'll be back. Whenever you get back, get back. Because in the meantime, we're going to start opening some cider to uh, to taste it. What are we, what, what we going to taste here first, gents? And by the way, uh, well, Stas likes cider. The one thing in the world, maybe, that she likes. She likes cider. Uh, nice. Well, I mean, <laughs> if I can find something to actually open. Do you have a bottle opener? Oh, jeez. Bottle. Of course we didn't. Cider makers don't actually carry bottle openers. That's <sighs> oh, look Ta-da. at that. Jack. Yes. Our intrepid engineer, Jack Inslee. All right. So, so since I came over on the subway and my bottle's sort of a little full, I'm a little worried you get, that you get I in the glass may, of the pour them both uh, out at the same time, right? Nice, yeah, sure. Why, do, why don't you two? Uh, okay, why don't you describe the ciders that, uh, that these suckers on the air oh, don't get to don't get to? Where am I doing this? So, so uh, ours is a. Why is this not? Uh, here, I'm having a little little technical difficulty with the. I will, I will let the beverage director actually Rest, use something. Restaurant man, yeah. Exactly. That's why I shouldn't be involved. Uh, so, so the Black Duck one is actually our hop cider. Um, 
and this is uh, ma- mainly sort of heirloom uh, American heirloom fruit, which is uh, different than most of our other ones. Uh, we, we generally use uh, more true cider fruit, uh, English and French uh, bittersweets and bitter sharps. But these are also our hops. So it's Fuggles, Kangolding, Cascade, um, and a unknown noble hop. Um, in a sense, uh, let me grab a glass. Oh, it is hopped, huh? It, oh, it's hopped. Unfortunately, Stas, she loves cider. Not a hops person. Oh, I'm so sorry. We know. need um, more Jack glasses. Is, down Jack is. For you guys. Yeah, I like hops. Oh. Jack loves hops. Jack. Just, just smell it. Maybe you won't get hops. Maybe we'll get the other plant in the hop family. Yes. Now we're, de- we're dealing with uh, we're dealing with an un- an unfiltered product here. An unfiltered, unfined. Um, yeah. I mean, this was uh, ambient yeast, you know, natural yeast fermentation, uh, and essentially uh, with the hops, uh, we pick them. Uh, we dry them. We freeze the hops because they're they're ready in August um, or early September. We ferment the grape. Uh, yeah, grapes. Uh, we ferment the apples when when they're completely done fermenting. Uh, at some point, I make a blend of the ciders and I put the hops whole cone in the cider. The, this was about five and a half days. Uh, I pull it back out and then uh, actually this got bottle conditioned. Uh, so it sat another few months in the bottle, and uh, basically this is the product. Uh, right, so, so Stas, you might like it because yeah, it's, it's, like it's it. dry hopped. It's, it's not. It's not obviously. When my brain is on fry. It's not bitter. It's not bittered. It's not boiled yeah. with hops. Right. Right. Well, that's the big difference. That, that when you put heat to hops, that's when you extract out most of the bitters. And um, you, you know, essentially, when you dry hop, you're getting more of the aromatics of the hops out. Uh, and any bitter that's in this is probably more from the apples and less to do with the hops themselves. So, John, you probably um, said this, but my yeah. mind space for a second. Did you yeah. co-ferment the hops with the apples, or was it no. all infused after the fact? No, no. So, so it's um, uh, completely fermented, uh, and then okay. I put a blend together from from some different tanks and get get the base where I want it, and then I add the hop whole uh-huh. cone after fermentation is complete. Okay. Uh, this this particular one, it's just by taste. Uh, these were in for just about five and a half days. Mm. Uh, I pull it back out, and uh, you know, then we bottle condition. So basically, you know, uh, you know, and this is what you get. This is the only product other than I do make a black currant one sometimes that that we sort of put something else in other than apples or pears. Um, and I will say the the reason we made this is uh, you know everyone needs a, a gateway, and this is our gateway cider for beer drinkers. Uh-huh, nice, I like that. I like that. that. Is good. Yeah, gateway. I just want to make sure the caller got on. Are you on, caller? Oh yeah. Okay. Hey, ask Sweet. your question while we're while we're drinking this. By the way, hey. you should know because you can't taste it that uh, there's very good. Uh, I think there's very good acid control on this. Maybe it's because you're adding also some, um, you know, a little bit of a tannin bitterness or the hop aroma. Yeah. Maybe that's what balances out. But very good. Don't you think so? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. agree. I mean, back to that note earlier, you're talking about ash means maybe too acidic. You have to blend it. Again, it's all personal, and I think. I'm a lover of higher acid beverages. When I was in the wine world, it was champagne and Riesling and Gruner and Veltliner, and that was my world. And so the cider definitely leans that way. So I think there's a there's a broad range of what's acceptable, but um, I think this has a great balance, especially for that bitter note too. Yeah, yeah. You have to have some acidity to keep that. To me, it's all about energy in the beverage, which acidity gives everything, which is yeah. nice here. All right, caller. Sorry, sorry to cut you off yet again, caller. What is your question? My question is about keeving. <clears throat> keeving cider. What's, yes. the, what's specifically the question? Oh, specifically. Specifically, the question is, I've been, you know, doing my own keeping experiments over the years, over the last couple of years, and I can't seem to get it down like to a science, essentially. Obviously, hmm. it is, but I can't seem to get it to come out like evenly every single time, and I know that there are a lot of places that do it 
on a regular basis, you know, like industrially, I think. Hmm. So I figured someone's got to know something about this, you know, that I'm missing. Yeah, and but, I was wondering, because I know it's involved similar, you know, hydrocolloid type stuff. I was wondering if there's, like, a synergistic effect with another hydrocolloid, you know, because it's low methoxylpectin, if there's anything we can do to, like, you know, get it, get it uh, evened out. I, I, w- I will say where they do that in France. Uh, uh, well, first, like, descri- yeah. describe the process for people who have no idea what, what's going, what keeving is or what's going on. So, so keeving basically is a, a process where you sort of uh, we get to uh, uh, what they call the brown cap, uh, which uh, is pectins and things like that come up, and you have uh, some of the nitrogen and, and vitamins and things like that that are in the juice settled down. And you essentially take out the liquid in between. So you're basically taking cider and starving it of the things that yeast need to ferment quickly and and uh, maybe finish the fermentation. Uh, so, you know, then basically you get a very slow fermentation if it's done right. And you can actually get it to stop and have, you know, residual sugar in it. Uh, and uh, not have to use other processes to sort of do it. It's a natural way to do it. But even in France and parts of England where they do it, uh, it isn't a science, and they don't make it happen all the time. And I will say varieties usually play a big role in it. The bitter uh, sweets mm-hmm. uh, generally make it easier to do, and uh, also temperature is uh, a huge factor. It has to be cold enough uh to make it happen and but not too cold but not too cold true true and then there's just some amount of luck it truly is a little bit of luck and uh i mean i know the biggest producer uh in the u.s that i know that's doing uh keeping on a commercial level is uh, uh kevin from uh, easy orchard which is out in the, the west coast and he it's a hit or a miss thing for him he sometimes gets partial keeps, sometimes it gets full mm-hmm. keeps, and sometimes it just doesn't happen, and he has to ferment it sort of in a natural they way. They do make, I don't know what they are exactly, but they do make some additives, which yeah. I would never involve myself with, you know, to, like, help yeah. the keeve along. Right. Because, I mean, what you're, the beauty of the keeve is the idea of lassoing the whole situation into kind of this great balance between failing and not failing. And it's also important, I think, to mention that, you know, you can have residual sugar in a cider from various methods. And one of the other keeping methods is this oxidative quality, which is also something you have to kind of monitor and keep in balance with both temperature and air exposure after the fact and right. so forth. Because, you know, I don't personally don't do keeps because I, I enjoy some keep ciders a hell of a lot. Like, that's not my goal to make any kind of oxidative style of cider. Yeah. Oh, but um, I think most people, especially on the still side, produce a fairly highly oxidized product, no? It does happen. There's many reasons we can discuss why that's the case. But um, can and should. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the key. I don't. I can't speak to like how to help you be successful. What about the solids content of the juice before it's fermented? Does that make that it does have something to do with yeah. it too? Because I mean, depending on if you're if you are straining it in some way when you're juicing it or not at all, and what's your press and like. What was yeah. the texture of the apples, and did they squirt through the press and cre- put more sediment in your juice than necessary for that keeve? Because the weight of those things, as I understand it, can cause like a difficulty in the true separation of pectin to the top and other sediment to the bottom yeah. of a keeve. Yeah, and I, I also don't make any keeve ciders, although in the past, uh, when I was experimenting, I did make you know small 5- and 10-gallon lots of keeve cider, and right, I added nothing um, and I would get I'm I'm this is a rough estimate probably half of them to work and the other half didn't um, and you know I was using true bittersweets and things like that um, which I'm at least told helps um, if you're using straight up dessert fruit it's 
uh, yeah, it's a, sometimes harder to make it work. Um, do, but, you, do you, as I've understand too, like you mentioned, bittersweets and so forth often yeah. work a little better because they do tend, some of them at least tend to have a lower nutrient level to begin yeah. with, and they also have a higher pH. So yeah. that's another thing to be considered. Like that's why a lot of keep ciders that are successful aren't necessarily that high in acidity, or they don't have that sense of acidity in the palate because they yeah. generally start with a higher pH to begin with, which also create you know, in a whole new danger zone in that situation because you have an oxidized juice that you're leaving a little bit open to the elements has a high ph so it's a little bit more likely to be inviting to certain bacteria that you may not want later on so it's it's a tricky but it's also one of these beautiful things that was discovered by accident by people just putting juice outside because they needed a place to store it and it happened to be cold and the chapeau brune developed and they had to salvage what was there and figured this whole method out over a number of years so delicious mistakes yeah yes yeah. Caller, did that, did that did that help at all? <laughs> um, really. Yeah, it does. I was, just, <laughs> I was actually hoping more for like a food science perspective. I appreciate you know the natural you know amazingness of the apples, but like I would be probably adding like pectin methylesterase or something like a Novo shape or something like that. And I was thinking from you know a hydrocolloid perspective. I know there are a lot of synergistic hydrocolloid interactions. I was wondering if there's something I could just like you know. Well, if I yeah. could, you know, get it have you done out. a successful key without that yet? Um, yeah, I have. Okay. It's just it does seem to be without the pectinethylesterase. You're saying, or yeah, without... just yeah, with just basic. Oh no, okay, no, yeah, I mean, not, pecti- not without the pectinethylesterase. I mean, the, the, okay, so like here's 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 an example that I I don't know what's going to happen, so I'll let I'll let you know. And unfortunately for me, there's too many variables to just to actually separate the stuff out, but. Uh, I, I can't afford a cider press yet, so I, I only have one tree. I'm going to plant more. Oh, By yeah. the way, what do, you, what do you guys think about fall planting? You pro-fall planting or it, anti? It, no, no. I think it can work as long as you uh, mulch it and you know get it watered in, and we don't have severe, severe winters. Yeah. I'll talk, yeah, to, you, I'll talk to you after yeah, the show because yeah. I want to plant some apple trees, but I don't – you know, I don't, I, whatever. I, I, right. I'm not going to get into it. But the uh, – I mean I will if you want, but the um, – so I juice with with like uh, regular you know human like home juicers. So my first cider that I did this year, I did in a champion juicer, which provides a, a fairly low solids juice. I did not treat it at all with any sort of um, with any sort of pectinase because it was already low enough. And when you when you treat a juice early with um, pectinase, you strip a lot of flavor out of the juice, and so that's why a lot of times for cocktails where I need a clear juice for carbonation. Like uh, I have to use extremely high flavored varieties like an Ashmead's because if you're hitting it with a, a pectinase enzyme and then stripping the solids out that early, like you know, it's just it, it, they get too thin. Like a lot of apples can't survive it from a flavor standpoint. Okay, I, this time I juiced because Mark from Del Posto gave Nastasia an extra juicer. Nastasia's like, this is the size of my freaking kitchen. What the hell am I going to do with this? Dave, you want this juicer, so I got this Breville juicer, which is a centrifugal basket juicer, radically higher solids content in this juice. So I have no idea, so much so, and this is why the variable is too much, that I hit it with a little bit of Pectinex because it was just so, it was like a slurry, like, you know, much more higher solids than you would get in a press. And so, I, unfortunately for you, caller, I treated it with, uh, with uh, some uh, Pectinase, but... I, you know, I'm keeping it fairly cool, so I don't know like how much of a breakdown whether it's going to be complete. I mean, on, only time will tell. As Journey, which, wasn't that Journey? Journey, I think, right? No, only yeah. time will tell. No, that's Warner. 
Some hair, some <laughs> hair band. I don't it, it was one of. Yeah, yeah. yeah anyway, Definitely the uh, anyway. Uh, now I have the lyrics of the song. Oh uh, God, it's too bad. Yeah. So the. Uh, uh, point being that uh, you know maybe if you were to take some juice and hit it with if you didn't want to use a science perspective but you were able to do it successfully with pectinmethylesterase you still there even what you, <laughs> you, you were able to successfully do to to do it by you pre-treated the apples or you treated that you crushed it then treated the crush with pectinmethylesterase and then and then yeah. pressed it yeah so you're only treating when you're if when you're just treating the crush with pectinmethylesterase especially if your transit time is not too high you're only really uh, affecting like a percentage of the of the juice before of the product and so you could probably maybe you know if i mean if if you like that method, continue to use that method. The only problem being that pectin, pectin methylesterase, Novo Shape, is increasingly difficult to source. So, like Modernist Pantry right. is not selling it anymore. Right. Uh, right. Guzman from Novozymes will only sell it in twenty five liter pails, which is like you know five orchards worth of freaking right. uh, enzyme. Uh, right. And so you might want to uh, you might want to try just. Uh, adding some slurry to it like some extra or like using a different juicing technique for some of it just to boost your solids content on it because i don't think that the pectin methylesterase is doing much besides that as you mentioned is also it does strip a little bit of flavor right so when you're doing that you can you're losing a little bit of solids instead of having them infused at a slower rate so it's it's expediting the whole keeping process to a certain extent which i think you kind of run the risk of Maybe losing a little bit of your final flavor product, yeah, or aromatics, right? Look, look, everything. There is no, there is no affect one thing, don't affect the rest in any sort of cooking, really. You know what I mean? Sure. Like everything that you do. For instance, on this second batch, I, I met, you know, I've, I've, I cured the apples for a couple of weeks, to, and also I froze a portion of them because I needed to because they were, they, I damaged them when I was harvesting them because I don't want to get into my tree is a standard apple tree. It's the tallest freaking oh. apple tree I've ever had. So I literally had to beat the fruit mm-hmm. off of the top of the tree. I don't have a ladder that can get up to the top of this dang tree. And so a lot of the stuff was uh, uh, damaged. I couldn't juice it right away, so I froze it. And then when it thaws, it thaws like a, like a, like a brown bag, which is kind of cool. It kind of tastes good, actually. But yeah. um, anyway, it's too many variables for me to actually describe to yeah. the caller like what's going on because it's now it's partially frozen. The juicer was like making this slurry. Who the hell knows? You know, you can have good results with that sometimes too. If you're, if you're juicing frozen fruit, a lot of those ice crystals from the water will stay frozen while the juice and the nectar releases and you can end up yeah. with a higher concentration of flavor yeah. and sugar I mean, in the end. And- I've done a bunch of – years ago, I did a bunch of side-by-sides on purposely freezing apples to simulate like – like post thaw, like post initial freeze harvest of like certain varieties, like um, yeah. you know certain late season varieties, and I had some good luck actually developing some interesting flavors with apples that are that were just simply like artificially frozen and then allowed to thaw before they were hmm. before they were I juiced. Juiced, yeah. 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 Well, I think I'm going to add. I think I'm going to try adding some like low methoxyl pectin, hopefully, maybe to help. You know. Yeah, like it's, get things going. Yeah, at, you know, amp up my my pectin amounts. Maybe that'll help. You know, stabilize some of the ones that aren't quite, you know, coming together. Hmm, right. Uh, well, let us know. Let us know, know what happens. Like in however many weeks or whatever it takes. Let us know. Let us know what happens. Cause I'm always yeah. curious about these things. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank, yeah. You. Good right luck. thank you. Um, by the way, speaking of apple trees. I don't know what the heck I'm going to do with this dang tree. All the lower branches are basically 
it's weird. They produce fruit. This year was an unbelievable, I think, for a lot of people, like fruit year in, in our area. Like the, the, the tree just went bananas. I don't know whether it's because we had a hard winter or what, but the tree just went totally ape, like made so many freaking apples. This, it, no, this was the perfect year. I mean, last year in New York State was a short crop year for a lot of, a lot of regions. So, uh, you know, when the apple trees have all that kind of energy and, and the pollination season this year – was perfect. I mean, we had no rain and warm days uh, when when the blossoms were out. And and you know, honeybees mm-hmm. are lazy and uh, prima donnas, and they won't work. You know, if it's below fifty five, if it's raining, and things like that, and, and some of the other pollinators. Uh, so I think it was just a, you know a confluence of all these things. You know, light crop last year uh, for most people. So you know, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed a big crop and just the pollination uh was just perfect the weather so i mean for us we had the biggest crop we've ever had nice yeah leif before we get done we gotta taste your cider we've got to taste your cider sure let's let's taste it here let's rinse these glasses since those hops are so wait this one's a this one's a clean guy okay Uh, oh because i host host steals the clean glass stars just rolled her eyes at me By the way, Nastasia, are we doing are we doing the show from Bass Pro next week? We are. They just got back to me. Woo! Yeah. Nice. Cheers. Bass Pro people is opening up in Bridgeport, and we're going to do the show. But it's not going to be Tuesday. It's going to be Wednesday, right, Seth? It's going to be Wednesday. Oh, it's going to be so awesome. Oh. Also, while we're... We well, won't be able to take call-ins, so it'll be like a catch-up show, you know? Yeah, by the way, once uh, the... But it'll uh, be all questions on hunting... That's right. Cooking foods that you hunt. I'll get to the questions I had. Nice. To, I had some really interesting questions today that I'm clearly not going to get to, like how to blanch, i.e., oh. remove bitterness and chlorophyll, like you know, of cardoons post harvest, which is interesting to me, and I have some thoughts on it, but I don't have time necessarily to get into it today. Let's taste the cider. So describe the cider that we're that we're looking at here. So this is all this is all Columbia County fruit up in Hudson Valley. Um, this is all from 2014 harvest. Just two varieties: 60% Northern Spy, 40% Newtown Pippin. Both nice. Native uh, North American heirlooms. Um, and, yeah, and Northern. Yeah, you said Northern. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, North American heirlooms. But like, like, don't let the Virginians tell you that. Like, oh. we we own. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Newtown comes from Queens. Yeah. Right, right. By, yeah. by the way, you, you know that that's the most polluted area in all. Like, was for a while. Newtown Creek was like the most yeah. polluted waterway in the country. It's all the, the actual land where the tree, the first Newtown Pippin, is documented from, is now a children's park. So that's a good combination Sweet. there—a really polluted area, right. children's yeah. playground. Yeah. Um, but this is um, this was fermented very slowly. There's this is a combination actually of inoculate and uh, spontaneous fermentation. Um, this year, everything so far is kicking off spontaneous just fine. But I've been kind of a migratory gypsy of a cider maker for a while, so. You know, a lot of people talk about all the yeasts come in on the fruit, and there's a whole other element of the environment that you're producing and could be a contributing factor to those kinds of fermentations. So until there was a little bit more of a settled homestead for the cidery, so to speak, um, I was kind of using a mix of the two. Um, this aged in vat um, fermented for about six, six or seven weeks total. And then aged in vat for another five and a half months. It's method champenoise or bottle conditioned and bit and bottle now for about five and a half, six months. Hmm. Now, uh, I see what you mean by you like acid, but here's the thing. Like there's a, uh, a very characteristic brightness in the finish, mm-hmm. from that, but it's not like overly acidic. It's not like, it's not like an acid bomb. No. You know what no, I'm saying? It balances is always 
should be the goal, I think. Not right. just in making cider, but in all aspects of life. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you guys this, but before they, you know, before we run out of time. Let me, so I find that like, uh, how many years would you guys say we're into the cider kind of resurgence here in in the U.S.? Five, six, seven? Well, probably. Yeah, I don't even know if it's that really. I mean, yeah. are we are we, are we yeah. at year zero yet? That's really the question. I think. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, but it's it's been a few. Yeah, I mean, maybe five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, when I, when I say that, I mean there is. Uh, you know, I remember a time when, you know, all you would read in books is. We lost it. We were a cider country, and we lost it. Yeah. And there was nothing. You know what I mean? There was a couple of people producing some some stuff, but they were really chasing like a slightly higher price point. They were chasing the same folks that were buying woodchuck. Sure. And I think it's been no offense to the woodchuck right, corporation, right. yeah, but they've done great things for us. Yeah, but I've noticed like you know maybe eight years like you start seeing people who would go out and do the rounds like you guys are doing, talking to people like talking about their products. Uh, and trying to take serious drinkers and hook serious – when I mean – I don't mean alcoholic. I mean like people who yeah. take their drinks seriously, like hook them in, into into cider. So that that I, I've only sensed maybe a little over half a decade or something like this. Yeah. Um, maybe year zero, ironically, was when Anheuser-Busch and, and, and Stella Artois and all them started bottling a cider because it was clearly – well, they, money yeah. to be made, which is kind of laughable from people like John and I, I think. But, right. but what, 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 which product did they yeah. do? Well, the, what was the, uh, the Johnny Appleseed? Johnny Appleseed, yeah. Was yeah. The, yeah. Was, you know, these are six-pack, 12-ounce bottle right. ciders marketed in that kind of, right. you know, yeah. Generally, convenience store. Yeah, yeah, with some amount of concentrate and other sort of flavorings and things yeah. like that. I which mean, it's weird. They not... dope them with Malik, which is so strange because why would you need to? <sighs> well, if you had very, very high pH weak apples, you might have to like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my question is this: I th- I feel like early on in this kind of scenario, or the, early on in this kind of uh, uh, greater appreciation, understanding of what, by the way, is like our birthright. Mm-hmm. Good cider, you know, especially here in this part of the country, right? Uh, it, we we weren't born with it, but it, it belongs to us, right? And we should sure. have it. It's like super important um, to me, anyway. But the, I feel that like early on, uh, like a lot of people who were trying to do a good job were producing kind of you know late, but you just unbalanced ciders, like like too much not balanced out. But I feel like we're getting so much better. I feel like every mm-hmm. year we're getting better and better. Well, that's an interesting kind of thing as people talk about. You know, this is an interesting point to me. Like when I, when I told some friends of mine from the wine industry that I was going to start making cider, they say, "Oh, what are you going to do? You're going to make like like Spanish style cider or like more like Normandy style cider?" And I know that if I said to them, "I'm going to move to the Finger Lakes to start making wine," they wouldn't ask me. Oh, well, are you going to make like French style wine? Or are you going to, you know? But there was this understanding, even people understood that terroir, that they were attaching the idea of cider to these very specific locales as how they aesthetically identified their cider. And I think there's an interesting element going on, especially in New York State. Maybe I know it better because I'm intimately involved with this state because I'm here, but of trying to not necessarily pinpoint an identity of what North American cider or New York State cider is, but having the opportunity to explore these kinds of elements of balance. Because traditionally speaking, you know, a lot of the Normandy and Brittany ciders are off dry. Most of them keeve, not all, but, you know, definitely that and use varieties that are a little bit lower in acidity than the English style of cider. Traditionally speaking is definitely more on the bitter sweeter, lower acid style of things. In fact, there's even some writing in the, the the British reviewers of quality cider that require a low level of acidity to be a, to be a good cider. So, you know, I think finding the balance, 
yeah, it's a, maybe it's a cultural difference. Maybe it's because we're in a world where we're used to wines that have high acidity or getting into worlds of cocktails that have a greater balance of acidities and bitter notes and those kinds of things. So I think it's awesome that we're in a realm where we can explore it a little bit more freely than being beholden to like a longer deeper history yeah. of certain traditions. Right. You know what's interesting on what you're saying with... Dave, uh, I got it. We got to uh, do it. Sorry. All right. Well, listen. Okay, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. So, like, uh, I think it's interesting. Oh, it takes more than 30 seconds. Like, like early on in this, you get a lot of things I thought were well-crafted products out of places like Virginia, where mm. it's low acid inherently because of the hotter kind of climate they have. So it's easier for them to translate what in their head is a cider into a product in a bottle. I mean, we need to talk more about this, but they're about to rip us off the air. Yeah. Well, but listen, let's take this time. Let's, let's just, like, gentlemen, uh, punch your products again. Say where we can get them. Say the names of your of your places, and then unfortunately, we'll have to continue this like in the Twitter tra- chat room or mm-hmm. online. But thanks so much for coming, and why, yeah. just give, give the give the give the pitch. Well, no, no, and thanks, thanks for having us. Uh, Black Duck Cidery, uh, you know, basically we're pear and uh, cider, and we do lean more to a Spanish style. Um, I believe uh, the late great uh, James Brown did approve our ciders for their funk, and um, <laughs> nice. You can pretty much get them uh, at some select places in uh, uh, Manhattan and Brooklyn. Uh, Wasail, of course, the great Wasail in Orchard Street in the Lower East Side has it. And I just want to uh, give a shout out to all the cider drinkers on uh, uh, Staten Island because uh, no one ever gives them props. All two of them out there. Nice. Uh, I love you guys. But that's half the population. So you got yeah, your, there you your go. good Fair saturation. Enough. Leif, what do you? What do you got? So Sunstrom Cider, uh, tonight at Wasail is the first launch party release of a cider that we're tasting right now. So come on out after 8 p.m. if you want to buy it by the glass and enjoy it there. The cider is pretty limited right now. It'll be available at Wasail. And then at the new Rouge Tomat, when it opens, it'll be by the glass there. Which... And Wasail, by the way, is a cider a cider-focused uh, bar in uh, lower Manhattan in, uh, in on Orchard, Orchard, right? Uh, Orchard Street, it's a mecca. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. They do a good yeah. job. They're the first place and still, I think, the only place in... In New York City, focus solely on cider. I could be wrong, yeah. but well, can I give them props yeah. real quick for their chef, the food? Oh, Don't the overlook food. it; it's yeah. phenomenal. And, I've, and, I've been there several times. I endorse and, and, yeah. the, and the pastries. Uh, Rebecca, amazing. <laughs> All right, listen. <laughs> that's been cooking that. issues. Thanks so much. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.